So firstly, just want to welcome you guys back to another Logos large group meeting. It's been a while since we've had a, a proper Logos meeting, so it's really good to see you guys. Uh, to that end, you know, if you are able to, we do encourage you all to turn on your cameras. Um, we do like the opportunity to see one another and particularly to see uh, the entirety of everyone else's faces. So this is one of the few opportunities that we do get to do that. So please, if you are able to, we do encourage you guys to turn on your cameras. Um, that said, uh, this session will be recorded as well. So that's something to keep in mind too, but uh, we do that so that we can access these messages later on as well and benefit from being able to review them later on. The chat uh, function in our Zoom meeting will be available tonight, but we do ask that you just use that responsibly. Um, if there's an invitation to respond via chat, you're free to use that, but just to keep in mind that the Lord desires from us orderly worship. So as we're spending time in his word, we don't want to detract from the centrality of his word. So just some things to keep in mind as you um, consider how to use the chat function. So with that, um, I would like to just open up our time in a word of prayer. And uh, after that, I would also ask uh, Edwin to also pray to open us up. So if you can all uh, bow with me. Father God, we thank you so much, Lord, for the chance that we have to come together, Lord, even in a, a virtual format, Lord. And although we know that this isn't quite the same as coming all together in person in, in one building together to sit under the teaching of your word, we do uh, appreciate and we're thankful for every opportunity that we have to, to be together, even virtually, Lord. And Father, I just pray for our time tonight, that as we hear from your word, uh, particularly from JC, who will be taking us through the passage tonight, that your word would be central and that our hearts would be ready to receive your words and ready to, to submit to your words as well. So we thank you, Father, for everything that you have uh, uh, provided for us, and we look forward to what you will teach us this evening. In Jesus' name. Father God, Lord, we... Praise you and thank you for you are good and you are good to us. Um, there is none like you. And uh, we just uh, pray that this evening would glorify Christ and that as a body, um, as a church, that we would be um, hearers of the word and doers of the word, that you would um, soften our hearts to receive the teaching of your word, that um, you'd use JC as uh, a vessel to proclaim your truth and that uh, we would honor you and glorify Christ and exalt him in and through our lives. Um, we pray that uh, your spirit would uh, um, just uh, be within us, that it would uh, open our eyes uh, to see and to, uh, to know and to believe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So uh, we'll start off our time in the word just by reading through the scriptures. So if I can ask everybody here to grab your Bibles. And we'll be turning to our passage for this week, which is in 1 Timothy chapter 5. So I'll give you guys a few moments to get there. And 1 Timothy chapter 5, we'll be reading the first uh, 16 verses here. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, 
let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. So um, typically at this time, we do have a few members uh, from different discipleship groups um, share one thing that they're learning and also to, to share one prayer request. Um, today, we have Randall Young um, and also Sarah Fong. Um, Randall, are you? Yes, I see you there. So you're good to go. And Sarah, I see you there as well. So um, we'll just have Randall go first, and you can share uh, one thing God's been teaching you and one prayer request. And um, right after Randall finishes, Sarah, you can uh, unmute and share as well. Uh, sure. Hi, everyone. Uh, let me just uh, share one thing that I uh, learned from these passages that we read. Um, so what one thing that I found pretty interesting was that you see that the word household is mentioned twice um, in these verses. So once in verse four, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. And then once again, in verse 14, you see, so I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage the households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. And what was really interesting was, as we were kind of discussing this whole concept of the physical household, um, we kind of also looked back to 1 Timothy 3, where you see household mentioned again, but this time in the context of the overseers and the deacons. Um, you know, characteristics of being able to, again, verse four, manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the God, for God's church? Um, and then similarly for the deacons as well in verse 12, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. And so I just found it really interesting that you know, you kind of have this similar characteristic of, you know, having a desire to love and, you know, manage one's household well. And then you go down into verse, you know, 15. Um, and you see Paul is kind of talking about the broader household, which is like, you know, the church, the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and the buttress of truth. 
And so initially, you know, when we were kind of talking about this whole concept of the household, it's kind of confused, you know, about, you know, the physical household. And I think, you know, Edwin kind of summed it up really well is that ultimately Christ is the head of the household. And, you know, our desire is to care for those who cannot provide for, you know, themselves in the same way that Christ did for us. You know, Christ ultimately sets the example. And so Christ, you know, he sets the bar, you know, in terms of how, you know, we should love one another in the church and also learn, I mean, love, you know, the people in our families and in our households as well. Um, so I, I thought that was something, you know, pretty interesting that, you know, we discussed it. Um, in terms of a prayer request, I think just, you know, given everything that's kind of going on in our world, um, you know, I have a lot of friends, you know, overseas who are kind of looking in to the U.S. And, you know, a lot of them have, you know, been reaching out out of concern, you know, saying, you know, hey, you know, I've been seeing all these, you know, you know, racially targeted attacks in the Bay Area. You know, these things are, you know, happening in your neighborhood, you know, stay safe. You know, you know, I hope nothing of that sort happens to you. And, you know, it's very interesting for me to look at social media, you know, both you know, my friends who are believers and non-believers and just seeing how they approach, you know, these things. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's a little discouraging to see that, you know, people are, are you know, being combative, you know, they, they're putting their faith and trust in, you know, whether it's donating to a specific cause, um, you know, raising awareness and things like that. But, you know, ultimately for me, I realized that, you know, the root of racism is a heart issue. And, you know, instead of, you know, saying, you know, we got to take a stand, we got to fight back. And ultimately, you know, my desire should be to trust in God because God knows, you know, all these things that are happening. You know, this is just sin, you know, manifesting itself. Um, and, you know, ultimately, you know, my our desire should not be for our justice or our will to be done, but ultimately God's will to be done. You know, ultimately, instead of, you know, reacting in anger, I should be praying for these people that they will come to know Jesus, they will come to repent of their sin. Um, and so I think that's kind of something, something that I've been wrestling with, especially, you know, with the media coverage and just how the news can, you know, so easily influence, you know, our thoughts and attitudes regarding those you know, certain subjects and things like that. Hi everyone. Um, so what I learned from this passage is that God calls the members of the church to love God and love others. Um, and we see how that is to play out in the context of the church. We're commanded to honor true widows, which are those who have their hopes set on God. Um, and we see the widow's conduct and actions aligning with Paul's earlier descriptions of a godly woman, such as devoting themselves to every good work, bringing up children, caring for the afflicted, and um, shows them caring for their households. And this example points back to God's design for the church, um, that the members would care for each other in a way that exemplifies Christ. And my prayer request would be um, just that I would have a worshipful heart to the Lord in all that I do. Thanks, Sarah, for sharing, and Randall for sharing as well. Um, so. Uh, now we'll just turn the time over to JC, and JC is going to take us through a passage that I'm sure we're all familiar with now, but, you know, it was always helpful to have someone take us through it and 
um, point us towards authorial intent and application. So JC, I'm gonna hand it right off to you. All right, thanks, Kevin. Hello, church family. Can you hear me? All right. Uh, we are now in chapter five of First Timothy in our series. And this passage is about how we care for one another in the church family. It's my prayer that we would not only know this passage on an intellectual level, but we would see the beauty of Christ and his word to see how he loves us and how he cares for our church according to the standard of his gospel. So bow your heads with me as we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that it refreshes our spirit and our bodies. Oh Lord, teach us by the power of your spirit, open our hearts, humble, our hearts to listen to the truth of how we should care for our church family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, let me share my screen. Okay. Can you see my screen? Can you give a thumbs up? Okay. All right. Um, last year, we all know that COVID damaged the American economy as many businesses suffered and closed because of the lockdown and stay-at-home orders. The stock market dropped at least 30%. Millions of people lost their jobs. Many worried about how they are, how they are going to take care of themselves and their family. Then in March, 2020, the US government passed the CARES Act to give care for the American people. It is an economic stimulus plan worth $2.2 trillion to boost the economy. It was designed to help people who lost their jobs, the struggling businesses, and many others who were affected by the economic fallout. It was the largest stimulus package in US history at that time. From a human point of view, we naturally give care when there's a need in our community and country. If unbelievers can care for their own communities, how much more for the believers in the local church? We are the redeemed people of God. We are part of God's family because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as members, of the family of God, we should prioritize care in the members of the household of God because Christ care. And the title of this message is called Gospel-Centered Care in the Church Family. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 to 16, we see that Christ cares about how we give care within the church family and how the gospel guides us in our care for one another. In verses one to two, we see how the gospel calls us to give spiritual care for church members as a family. In verses three to 16, we will see how the gospel calls us to give physical care for church members who are in need. Now you might ask, how is this connected to the gospel? 
Well, for us to understand Paul's intent, we have to understand the context of the passage. We can't just read the passage in a vacuum. It's been almost a month since we had our last teaching in 1 Timothy. So let's do a quick review so that we understand the context of the instructions. There are six chapters in 1 Timothy. In chapter one, we see how Christ cares about how Christ cares about the gospel teaching in the church. It's very clear in that chapter that Paul gave a charge to Timothy to stop the influence of false teachers and preserve the purity of the gospel in the church of Ephesus. False teachers were spreading false teachings, like the gospel plus something else teaching. And once you have unsound doctrine and false teachings, it will affect the church. And you can see the next flow of instructions from Paul with regards to church affairs. In chapter 2, we see that Christ cares about the order of worship in the church. Because of the false teachings, the order of worship had to be addressed by Paul. Men and women's roles had to be clarified in the context of public worship in the church. That means that our public prayer and how we worship must be rooted in the gospel of Christ, who is the mediator between people and God. In chapter 3, we see that Christ cares about the qualification of leaders and the gospel confession and the conduct of the members in the church. Church leaders must be chosen based on the standards of Christ and not based on man's standards. He also tells Timothy about the gospel confession and the conduct of the church. In chapter 4, we see that Christ cares about the godliness of his servants in the church. Paul instructed Timothy that he needs to train in the words of the faith and the sound doctrine. He is to command and teach for, for spiritual oversight for the church members. And this flows to chapter 5. Christ cares how we care for the members and leaders in the church. But we are going to discuss verses 1 to 16. Now we know the context of chapters 1 to 4. Let's look at the big picture to help us understand how to care for the church family. You see, before Timothy came to the church of Ephesus, there was a distorted gospel. A distorted gospel will have a distorted church. Prior to Timothy, false teachers had the gospel plus teaching. Basically, unsound doctrine that doesn't come from the gospel of Christ. And what happens when there's false gospel teaching? There will be false gospel thinking. This affects how members think, and this will have an outflow in how they live their lives. And you'll see this false gospel living in the church affairs. Based on Paul's instructions in chapters 1 to 4, you can see that there were people who left the faith, like Hymenaeus in chapter 1. Men didn't lead in prayer. The women were not dressed properly, and they were behaving improperly. And there were ungodly leaders that were chosen. So from the first chapter, you can see Paul's 
uh, urgency and the gospel priority. Paul had, had left Timothy behind at Ephesus with a pastoral responsibility to charge some not to teach anything contrary to the sound doctrine, which was according to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, sound doctrine will result in right living. And right living will have an outflow on how we care for one another because Christ cares about how we care. So in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 to 16, we find these two main instructions on how we should care for our church family according to the gospel. Now let's look at the first instruction in verses 1 to 2. In the original text, there's no break between uh, chapter 4, verse 16, and chapter 5, verse 1. Paul seg segues from what Timothy should command and teach the church members for shepherding. Essentially, there's oversight for the church members uh, because Christ cares for the spiritual and physical lives of the believers. In chapter 5, Paul addresses how to exercise that spiritual care and physical care for the lives of the believers based on the true gospel teaching. Now, how do you practice spiritual care for someone? Well, you have to speak the truth of God's word as you see in verses one to two. Believers can still sin and sin affects the family. Sin has to be addressed. You have to speak the truth in love. You have to correct unbiblical thinking that is contrary to God's word and to his gospel. And the way you correct is, is called, in the Greek word is epiplesso. This word was only used here in the New Testament. You cannot find this Greek word anywhere else in the New Testament. But I just want to clarify, God teaches us that we need to rebuke, like in Titus 1.13. In Proverbs 27.5, better is open rebuke than hidden love. This is why in the NASB, this word is translated to sharply rebuke. This, this, means, this means we don't need to use harsh words in the church family when we need to correct someone. So how should we do it? You see, he uses, he uses the word here, encourage. In the Greek, it's parakale. It can also mean to exhort. The point is that it is in contrast to the harsh dismissal or correction. It is related to the title for the Holy Spirit that refers to coming alongside someone else to help. It may be, it may be best translated strengthen. We are to strengthen our fellow believers as found in Galatians 6.1. Timothy, not to steamroll those who need to be corrected, but to exhort them as family. The church is God's family. Remember in the gospel that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to save sinners. Not only the redeemed believers received eternal life, but they were also adopted to God's family. 
it's a spiritual family. And to tie it all up for this section, our spiritual care for our spiritual family, which is the church, should be driven with a gospel-centered care, not by our own expectations, not by our own standards, but according to Christ's gospel and his word. We shouldn't look down on our, our brothers and sisters who are struggling with sin, but we, we should gently and lovingly exhort them to speak the truth in love. Without Christ, we ourselves wouldn't be able to save ourselves. If we are proud of our spiritual walk and we look down on others without properly exhorting them, then we may have a legalistic view of the gospel. Or if we are afraid to address sin, that is also wrong. You are not centered on the gospel because Jesus addresses sin in the gospel. You are centered on the fear of man. Now, let me ask you, how do you speak to your brothers and sisters in Christ? How do you speak to your spouse? How do you speak to your roommates, to your housemates? Is there spiritual care? Do you sharply rebuke? Or do you encourage them? Do we treat the opposite sex as brothers and sisters, part of God's family, with absolute purity? You see, in the church family, Christ cares about how we speak to one another, how we spiritually care for one another, because Christ died for us. We need to esteem our brothers and sisters, right? Now let's move on to the next section. The next section we see in verses 3 to 16, how the gospel calls us to give physical care to church family in need. We've addressed spiritual care. Now we should also look at physical care. In James chapter 2, verses 15 to 16, it says that if a brother or sister is poorly clothed, and lacking in daily food. And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? You see, God cares about the genuine physical needs of his family. And you can see that in Matthew 6, 28 to 34. Now let's go to our passage. Uh, we read here in the first and the last verse, we, you can see the big picture on how to care for the widows. And in between is the instructions for the widow or for how to care for the widow. And I was inspired by Ted's uh, previous teaching that he showed the sandwich illustration. By the way, that made me hungry. <laughs> the point of this passage is that the church shouldn't be burdened so there should be a guideline on how to care for the widows or the least among, among them. And it would be helpful to understand what it meant to be a widow during the time of Paul and how it was understood by the original audience. So let's pause for a bit and let's connect the dots between the, between the widow and the church and the gospel. You see, taking care 
and remembering the widows along with the orphans was mentioned at least 20 times in scripture. Some of you, maybe you are doing your one year Bible reading plan and maybe you just finished, you just finished Exodus or Deuteronomy, depending on how fast you are. And maybe you've seen this multiple commands for Israel, like in Exodus chapter 22 to 25, that you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. And during the ancient times, the only source of income for the wife was the husband's work, the husband's wage. So when the husband passes away, his wife becomes a widow with no source of income. And widows back then, they had no social security. There was no insurance or retirement funds. And there, were, there was no government welfare programs. There was no economic stimulus package at that time. But you can see in the law that God cares for the orphans and the widows. The law reveals that our God cares for the least among his people. But here's the thing. Israel constantly disobeyed the law. And one of the reasons why Israel was exiled was that they didn't care for the widows. In Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 7, father and mother are treated with contempt in you. The sojourner suffers extortion in your midst. The fatherless and the widow are wronged in you. And even after the exile, Israel still did not learn their lesson. Even in the New Testament, you can see in Luke chapter 21, verses 1 to 4, that a poor widow, in her poverty, she was giving her last money. What is a widow doing in the temple, giving all her money? The Pharisees and the priests know God's law. They, didn't, they did not obey God by caring for the least among them. But what's the point here? The point is that the law cannot change a person's heart to love one another. The law cannot save. And this is why Christ came for the gospel proclamation. And in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is, a new, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Christians have regenerated hearts because of the Holy Spirit. And Christians assembled together as a spiritual family called the church. And the church was founded by Christ, purchased by his own blood. It is Christ's instrument for bringing the gospel to the nation, to the nations. Yes, when the church verbally proclaims Christ, the gospel is audible. But Christians living together, loving and caring for one another will make the gospel visible. In John 13, verses 34 to 35, Jesus said, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And what was, what was one of the first evidence of changed lives among the believers? What was one of the first th things that the early church did? 
And you could see that in Acts chapter 6, 1 to 7, they were taking care of widows. Where Israel failed, this is where the church thrived. And they were taking care, the, they, were, they were taking care of the widows. And the early church proved that it is the gospel made visible by caring for the least among them. But here's the thing. The church is not a welfare state or a charity organization. The apostles understood the calling of the church. Yes, there was an abundance of care for the widows. It was a good problem. However, taking care of them shouldn't be a burden. And this is where the seven people, like Stephen, were chosen to serve tables. They had a church program. They had a framework to take care of them. And you see, without the gospel, the church will just be a nonprofit organization. Acts chapter 6 and 1 Timothy 5 have the same principle. And let's look at the passage again. Paul tells Timothy that there should be qualification for a widow to be financially supported. In verse 16, Paul summarizes this section. Let, let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are ill. Now let's go to the meat of the instructions. No pun intended. How does one provide physical care for the widows? In verses 4 to 15, we see two main instructions here. How the believers should care for their own family and how the church should be responsible in taking care of the true widows. So in God's plan, the family takes care for one another. Paul tells Timothy that those widows should go back to their family. So if it's a young widow, they go to their parents. If it's an older widow, if she has children, she goes back to her children or to her grandchildren. And in 1 Timothy 5, 8, it says, if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You see, it hurts when someone questions that you are a believer. But it's another level to be described as worse than an unbeliever. Now think about that. Provision for one's own family is a spiritual issue of utmost importance. Failure to live out the gospel in this way is a denial of the faith. Even the unbelievers understand that helping their own family is something to be done. And our example is Jesus. In John chapter 19, verses 26 to 27, when he was crucified on the cross, one of his last words on the cross that he asked the apostle John to take care of his mom. And I just want to be clear here, okay? 1 Timothy 5.8 could be abused. What Paul is saying here is that these are genuine needs of the family, like shelter, food, and clothing. We need to have a gospel view of care 
and not the world's view of care, not driven by the culture, but driven by the gospel. So that means we are not obligated to buy our parents like a luxury car, luxury items, luxury homes. Do you have a gospel view of care for your family or the world's view of care driven by unbiblical preferences? Is it driven by what the world desires or what Christ desires? And these should be genuine needs. Now, perhaps some of you, you are already helping your parents with genuine needs. And I understand it may not be easy. It may not be easy. It's sacrificial. But look at verse 4. Remember that in verse 4, why do we do this? It is pleasing to God. And he sees what you're doing. And so now let's go to the next section, the responsibility of the church towards true widows. There are so many details in that uh, instructions, but I know you discussed this in your small group already. But I just want us to focus on the big picture of this passage. The primary concern is in this passage is to identify which widows should be provided for by the church. And there are two key indicators here. One is that the, the, the widow doesn't have her own family. There's no other means of support. And second is about the character of the widow. It's not about perfection, but it's about faithfulness to the gospel ministry. And you see in verses 4 to 15, Paul shows the contrast for those who, who are not qualified by identifying sin issues like idleness or being a gossip. This is why church membership is important. Church membership is important so that you can observe and observe and find out their spiritual walk. What Paul is saying is that church financial resources must be used for the gospel ministry. A church is not driven by social justice work, but by the true gospel of Christ. Yes, the church has to care for the members, but not to the point that it will hinder the gospel ministry. You read that, we read that in Acts 6. And I'm not saying that we should not go to the homeless shelter. I'm not saying we shouldn't be a good Samaritan. But what is the point? But what is the point here? The point is, is that if there are needs in the local body, in the church, then what's the point of going out there? What's the point of going to the homeless shelter, giving them food, but not sharing Christ? Christ is the only one who can address their greatest need. So the main point here is that the church family should provide for the genuine needs of its members who are not able to provide for themselves, but is centered on the gospel of Christ. And as we close, as a review, in 1 Timothy 5, 1 to 16, we have learned that the gospel calls us to give spiritual care for church members as a family. 
And the gospel calls us to give physical care for church members in need. God cares for his family. He sent his son to die on the cross for us so that we could be part of the church family. He provided our most important need, the forgiveness of our sins. And Christ is the standard. It is not Mother Teresa. The standard is not what you see on social media based on their, their definition of care. Jesus is the standard. And Jesus cared for both the spiritual and physical needs of his disciples. Jesus addressed our sin, not sweeping things under the rug, but to speak the truth in love according to his word. And Jesus provided genuine physical needs to his disciples. Jesus did not give his disciples a Mercedes-Benz or their best life now. It is not a prosperity gospel. It is also not climbing the monastery. Jesus made breakfast for the disciples in John 21. He fed the 5,000 in Matthew 14. You see, the gospel is for the whole man, both spiritual and physical. And Christ's gospel should be our guide in caring for our church family. Let me ask you, do we see or do you see our church family the way Christ does? Do you see or do you care for the church family the way Christ does? Remember, he bought the church by his own blood. And I pray that we will have the same love and care like our Savior. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your steadfast love. We thank you for the sufficiency of your word and your gospel. We thank you for your teaching, teaching us how to care and love within the church family. Oh Lord, would you please give us a gospel-centered love for a church family? Continue to enrich our understanding of the gospel so that we may please you on how we care for one another. Help us, O oh Lord, to speak the truth in love to our brothers and sisters and help us to care for those who are in need in our church according to your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you, JC, for bringing us the word today. That was a very, very helpful um, walking us through the passage for today and exhortation towards what the, the scriptures call us to do. Um, so now we'll be just ending our formal time in Lagos just with a few announcements. We'll still have a portion later on for those who are willing and able to stick around just uh, to hang out for a bit. But um, if you are new to our Lagos Bible study, we just want to welcome you to our church. Um, we do want to get to know you and who you are. So we're, we're happy that you're here. But if you'd like more information about our church or the Lagos Bible study, we invite you to reach out to JC, who spoke for us tonight, or a Katrina Hueco, and they'll be glad to uh, give you some more information. Uh, we are a ministry of Lighthouse Bible Church, um, San Jose. 
Um, and indoor and outdoor gatherings are available um, in addition to the streaming service that we have. So if you would like to attend, um, we do have an RSVP on our Facebook members page. So if you haven't done that yet, please make sure that you go and RSVP for uh, one of our uh, services, either indoor or outdoor. Um, as for our Logos schedule, next week will be our discipleship group sharing and prayer time. So there won't be a large group meeting like we had this week, but we'll be meeting in our smaller groups to um, share and pray with one another. And the next large group meeting like this will reconvene um, in a few weeks from now on April 22nd. Um, and we'll be going through the next passage in the scripture here. Also want to just call attention to our cornerstone ministry. That's an, a continuation of the ministry of the word on Sundays. And that's going to continue in uh, this Sunday, uh, April 11th, from 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. And specifically, we'll be continuing the membership track. Uh, we'll be going over part three of discipleship in the Father's house. So for those of you who are actively going through the membership process, we uh, would ask that you be there. But uh, it is open for the rest of the church as well to join in and uh, learn from that as well. Okay. So I think that is all the announcements um, that we have. Uh, if I missed anything, you know, any of the other shepherds can go ahead and feel free to uh, jump in or, or ping me on the chat so that we can make sure to get those announcements out. But with that, um, let me close us uh, one more time in one last word of prayer. Father God, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word and just for guiding us in these ways. And for the ways that you connect the, the, the love that we show to one another within the church, Lord, uh, to the gospel that you have shown um, to, to each of us in the church. So we thank you, Father, for, um, for Christ, most of all, and the fact that our lives are changed and transformed, and that as we pursue Christ-likeness, as we pursue godliness, Lord, that it draws us to these things. And you don't leave us um, with question marks or doubts as to how about how we are good to go about living out to the gospel and living out your word. You provide clear instructions and in, uh, part of which we went over today. So we thank you for that clear instruction. And I pray that as we go forth to the remainder of our weeks and we consider what we've heard tonight, that it would really impact and change how we live our lives. So thank you, Father. And we thank you again in Jesus name. Amen.